Hello, everyone. This is Anne DeSantis, the Executive Director for the St. Raymond Onatus Foundation for Freedom, Family, and Faith. I'm so happy to be here with you on this podcast because I have an amazing guest for you this evening. I have Robert LeBlanc. He is a podcaster, an author, a husband, a father, a catechist, a teacher. With he, His podcast is called The Pints and Pews Podcast. He's a co-host and he is with a ministry called Catholic Moment. So I'd like to bring him onto screen with us. It's just... Thank you so much for joining us, Robert. It's great to be here with you on this podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me, and it's uh, truly a blessing to be here with you. Uh, and thank you so much for the the invitation to come back and join you on the podcast and join you at the St. Raymond Onatus Foundation. It's always such a blessing and such a pleasure. That's right. That's right. And I would like to invite people. Now, Robert and I, back in 2021, we did a marriage series, which is still on our website, still on our YouTube channel. All you need to do is go to nonatus.org or simply to our YouTube channel at Philly Nonatus. So the topic for this discussion are saintly marriages, the vocation of marriage. And the last time we did a, a series together that we did also the same topic, but we're going to talk in a little different realm because I know that you want to talk about some of the wisdom of the saints. And so without further ado, I'm going to bring you onto screen so that you can share some of your wisdom with us. Thank you very much, and I, you know, wisdom is a, a pretty big word to to use there for that. But I thank you, Anne, uh, for the opportunity to do this. And you know, I want to start off first and foremost sharing with the the listeners and the the viewers that uh, you know, my own marriage is by far not perfect. Uh, and I can tell you that our, our own marriage is not perfect because my mom tells me all the time that my my marriage isn't perfect because I'm part of it. Right, so uh, I'm not here to uh, extol or, or say, you know, how perfect my own marriage is. Uh, and really, what I wanted to do this evening is to look at the lives of some of the patron saints of marriage, and between reflecting on the lives of the the saints and reflecting on my own uh, 27 years of marriage. Uh, one week from from filming here tonight will be our 27th wedding anniversary. Uh, and to just share some of the nuggets of wisdom of our faith uh, when it comes to marriage. Now, the idea to to look at marriage through the, the lens of the saints uh, came to me only about a month or so ago. Uh, my wife and I were watching a, an old episode of The New Heart Show. So The New Heart Show uh, taking place in Vermont in an inn. Um, where Bob Newhart's character is the, the innkeeper with his wife. And there are two characters in that show, Michael and Stephanie, who are your, your stereotypical, shallow, uh, into themselves kind of characters that they're, they're more worried about their own appearance. They're more worried about uh, their own reputations. And they actually kind of use each other in the, this relationship uh, as almost like a, a trophy. And so as they were working through some difficulties in their relationship, these two characters, Michael and Stephanie, one of the things they did to help the relationship is they took a test uh, out of the Cosmo magazine. Um, 
that's yeah, one of those top places to go to look to strengthen your marriage is, is Cosmo. No. Uh, but what the test revealed to them and what it said to them to do to help their relationship was to observe another stable couple, to spend some time with a, a couple who had a great relationship, a stable relationship, and to look at the model that they made to base their own relationship on, on this. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, who better for us to observe than the patron saints of marriage? Who better to go to for saintly advice on marriage would, would be the saints? Now, we don't often think of saintliness and marriage going hand in hand. When we think of saintliness, we often think of the clergy and religious uh, and, and celibates. Uh, but we can see, uh, actually, there is a, a pathway to, to sanctity, a pathway to saintliness in marriage. And this became evident to myself uh, a couple months ago, uh, talking with my co-host Dennis and, and bantering back and forth with some uh, saintly uh, quotations. Uh, and he brought forward, he talked about uh, something that St. Jose Maria Escriva had said. And he said, you know, don't think that person annoys me think that that person sanctifies me. And we had a bit of a chuckle about that. And thinking on that, then I'm thinking there must be nobody more saintly and more sanctified than my wife, because I know that I must annoy her to, to no end. And so I thought, yeah, we need to look at the saints to have an idea of God's intention for marriage and how we're, we can live uh, our marriages out. So the first couple, the first patron saint, and, the, and they're a couple, are, are Saints Louis and Zélie Martin from, from France. So the parents of Saint Thérèse de Lisieux, the, the little flower. And they are the first married couple to have ever been canonized together. And actually their feast day, July 12th, which is about a month ago, uh, is actually their wedding anniversary. Normally, saints, their feast day are, is on the day that they die, the day that they enter into heaven. But for Louis and Zélie Martin, their, their feast day is July 12th, their actual wedding anniversary. And I found one of the most beautiful things as I was looking into their lives was that before they even knew each other, and they came to marriage a little bit later in life, uh, they were passing each other on the street. And the Holy Spirit said to Zelie about Louis, who she had never met before. And the, the, as they pass on the street, the Holy Spirit whispers in her ear, he is the one I have prepared for you. Right? He is the one that I've prepared for you. And I love that so much because I firmly believe that God has a plan for us. And that part of God's plan for us from the moment of our conception, that if he's calling us to the vocation of marriage, he's already planned our spouse for us right from that very moment of conception. And what a beautiful thing it is when we do finally meet that person that God has called us to be with. Now, when we, we think of saintliness, when we think of saints, coming back to what I mentioned uh, right off the top, is we often think of saints as, as doing great things for God, that they're, they're sanctifying themselves in the grandiose. But yet, Louis and Zélie Martin, their married life was very humble and ordinary. 
Yet the greatness of the, the their humble and ordinariness was from the fact that they cooperated with God's will for their life. They cooperated with God um, to the station of life that they'd been called to, which was you know, bourgeois middle class in, in France in the, the mid-19th century. Right. And at this time, they just led quiet lives of love and service and, and sacrifice. And when we talk about sacrifice, we can talk about the struggles of their, their life at this time, you know, the, the economic hardships, even for middle class. I mean, for Zelie to be a lace maker and to be a working mother would have been exceptional. The fact that they needed that second income. Uh, we think back to the 19th century and the infant mortality rate. Uh, they lost four out of their nine children. They had struggles within their, their relationship. Uh, Louis was known for his, his bad temper. Uh, and then Zelie passed away uh, at an earlier age. So then Louis had to be a, a single parent through that. And then as he got older as well, just the, the health issues that he had. But through all of these struggles, Zali and Louis made a priority of their family and faith. As a couple, they would go to daily mass. They would do the, the first Friday devotions. I, it's no wonder that you know, St. Therese of Lisieux grew up to espouse the little way because that's what she would have seen uh, in her life growing up. And it's... No wonder that out of such a, a humble, quiet, pious family, we would actually see multiple children choose a discern a, a, a religious life. So what does this mean for us as married couples? How can we live our lives after the example of, of Louis and Zerie? Well, first and foremost, listening to God's plan for, for us, listening to God's plan for the spouse that he has intended for us since our conception. And from that, that, you know, God has chosen that spouse for us to be complementary, that our strengths are to make up for the spouse's weakness and their strengths are to make up for, for our weaknesses. Um, again, the humble and simple and quiet life that, you know, as a married couple, we shouldn't get caught up in chasing the grandiose. I mean, it's impossible to live to the standard that social media gives us. Uh, through social media, um, and I'm going to age myself here, but whether it be Facebook or, or Instagram um, or the other this other social media apps that are out there, we always see everybody's best life. We don't see the laundry in the corner. We don't see the dirty dishes in the sink. And we can't get caught up in, in chasing all of that. Right? Uh, and we need to cooperate with God's will for our state in life not coveting the blessings that he has showered upon others, not fixating upon what they have. The fact that Louis and Zelie carried the crosses of life together as a married couple. They were prayer, prayer warriors in support of each other. Right? And even this, this little bit of, of faith that, uh, and love that they shared in the, the little ways. And that's something that we can do as spouses and just even sending a little faith love text to one another when you're apart. Uh, it's usually one of the first, it's the first thing I do when I arrive at work in the morning is before I even get out of the car, I send my wife a little text. Um, and, and a lot of it's just hearts and praying hands, right? And then prioritizing the faith in our married and family life together. Right? Our faith is more than just Sunday mass. So as a, as a married couple, 
try to get to weekday mass when it's possible, uh, getting to confession on a regular basis together. I, mean, I always joke when my wife and I, we go off to confession, my joke is always, so did you write my list for me, right, as I'm going into the confessional? Um, people look at us funny when we say, yeah, we're going on our, our Friday na- date night, and Friday date night is actually going to adoration, right? we'll get to retreats together and it can be you know those are all seemingly grandiose things that we do together but we've grown into them as well so you know knowing that as you grow in your faith life as a married couple you know taking little steps so start with something as simple as family prayer grace before meals blessings for each other if you have the time, if you can fit it in, a, a family or a couple rosary or praying the Angelus, right? And just that that quiet, simple uh, life will help you lead each other to a life of holiness. Now, the next patron saint of marriage that I wanted to, to talk about then would, would be St. Thomas More. Excuse me, I just want to say that so far your presentation is wonderful and so educational. So thank you. Uh, looking forward to hearing about St. Thomas More. Oh, thank you very much, Anne. Um, I go through all of these preparations. I try to be as detailed as possible, but I, I also try to, to keep it concise for the listeners as well. Um, so St. Thomas More, uh, who was a lawyer and poet in 15th, 16th century England, um, he's best known uh, for his opposition to King Henry VIII's divorce. Now, St. Thomas More himself actually had two marriages and two very, very happy marriages. Uh, his first wife passing away when she was young after they had had four children together. And then he had his, his second marriage as well. Not much is known about his married life that he was, you know, it was simple and loving and respectful and they you know, the faith played a role in their daily lives. But really, when it comes to marriage, uh, St. Thomas More is known for his defense a- against Henry VIII's divorce, right? And when I think of this story, I think of our former our Archbishop here in Toronto, Cardinal Collins, when he would talk about Henry VIII, he always said that Henry VIII spelt his name Henry V I I. I, just that self-centeredness that, that comes from that. Uh, and that self-centeredness and that superiority complex uh, when he was looking to get the annulment for the, the marriage because there was no male heir uh, and it wasn't granted, then he just said, fine, I'll declare myself the supreme head of the Church of England and I'll grant myself the annulment, right? Uh, and part of that, like he took the notion of being the defender of the, the faith, again, putting himself above the Pope, putting himself above the church, putting himself above God. Now, St. Thomas More plays into all of this because as the Chancellor of England, it was actually his duty to defend the law against heretics. So he actually was his duty to def- to propose a, a legal opposition to what Henry VIII was, was putting into play here. And, and for that, St. Thomas More was actually beheaded on July 6th, 1535. And his final words were, I died the king's good servant, but God's first. So what does this mean for for all of us? Um, 
when I think about the defense of marriage and, and being called to defend marriage, I, I think of Our Lady of Fatima's message to Sister Lucia in Fatima that the ultimate battle with Satan will be on marriage. And really, when you look at our society, when you look at the world today, uh, there's no question that's more prevalent today in our society than the question of marriage. And a lot of times I'll say when we we're talking about um, marriage, um, we're using the same word to mean two, two different things. So as Catholics, as Christians, we're going to be called to stand up and defend the sacrament of marriage. Right? And we need to make that distinction that we're, we're defending the sacrament of marriage, sacrament of marriage. Uh, and we might not be called to do that to the extent of, of St. Thomas More, who lost his life. But we will be called to live out the sanctity of marriage, to be that example of a good and holy marriage to the world and not get sucked into the popular movements in society today. Now, respectfully decline when pushed and pressured for these things and have the difficult conversations because once people get to know uh, that we are Catholic and that we, we firmly believe uh, in the sanctity of marriage, that people will start coming after us and we are going to have to have those difficult uh, conversations. So we need to, to know what it is that we're talking about when we talk about the sacrament of marriage. Uh, and we might end up losing friendships over these. We're, we're going to be ridicule, ridiculed uh, within friend circles and in this, the staff room. And we may even have to succumb to professional pressure or persecution. So to get through all this, we need to put on the armor of God. We need to put on the armor of God as we defend the sanctity of marriage. But when we do that, we know that Christ is with us in the battle. We know that Christ is standing there with us. When I was going through a strenuous time myself and I was looking for a Bible quote for something completely unrelated, I opened up my Bible and it opened just by chance to uh, the gospel according to John chapter 15, verse 18. When the world hates you, know that it hated me first. And if we're going to stand up for the sanctity of marriage, the world will hate us, but we know that it's not us personally, but the message and the truth of Christ that the world is, is hating. And through all of this, we need to just keep in mind that, that God has a bigger plan and that God wants to test us like the gold that's tested in fire. And that will bring us to, to a ministry where God is intending us then to, to fulfill what he's calling us to, to do. Now, the third saint I wanted to, to talk about. Yes, I just wanted to acknowledge um, what your talk so far and uh, and just remind people, you know, this might be something they want to share with other people too because you're giving some wonderful information. So without further ado, let you go back to what you were talking about there, Robert. Thank you. You're welcome. And that, that notion of sharing with others, especially when we're stepping up to, to defend the sanctity of marriage, is having those, those fellow Catholic Christians that we can take that walk with 
um, and have that faith support as well is vitally important. Faith support within our marriage, with our, our spouse, but also with, with friends and other couples and living that life together as other couples. And so the third saint I wanted to talk about this evening is St. Rita of Cassia, uh, who's the patron saint of difficult marriages. Uh, St. Rita was born into the Italian nobility in the 14th, 15th century, uh, and she had discerned as a young lady uh, a call to the religious life, but out of obedience to her parents, uh, she allowed to, herself to take part in an arranged marriage through which she had two sons. Now, in this arranged marriage that St. Rita was put into with her parents, uh, her husband is described as a, a complicated man. And, and when they, they're saying that he's a complicated man, uh, St. Rita's husband uh, was impetuous. He had a fierce temper. He was a gambler. He had debts. He was involved in the vendetta feuds. He was uh, abusive of his, his wife. But through all of that, Rita remained patient and humble and loving and faithful. And this perseverance in the, the humble and patient and loving life eventually did have an impact on her husband and his behavior. And one time after he had stormed off and, and left her, he actually uh, came back asking for, for St. Rita's forgiveness. Eventually, his life did catch up with them, and her husband was killed in a vendetta feud. And of course, from that, then her two sons wanted to avenge their father's death. And Rita prayed to God that, you know, that he would take them before they could commit mortal sin and, and thus lose their salvation. And she didn't want their souls to be in peril. And so this actually happened, that, that her sons died before they were able to do this. And so kind of granting her, her prayer uh, of their salvation. And so how can we take St. Rita's life and, and put that into practice our, ourselves you know, 500 years later? Well, we need to remember that there's going to be times in our married life that our spouse is going to drive us crazy. Now, when there's one of those little things that our spouse does, one of their idiosyncrasies starts to, to make us tick, we need to remember that we probably drive them a million times more crazy. I, I know that's the fact with, with my relationship with my wife, that yeah, there's little things that she does that yeah, drive me bananas. But when I stop and think about it, I go, yeah, guaranteed, guaranteed, I drive her more crazy. Right. And one of those things that we need to remember in those moments is that when we're pointing our finger at our spouse to say, you're doing this to drive me crazy, we're pointing that finger. We need to remember that there are three fingers that are pointing right back at us. So for every little thing our spouse does that drives us crazy, we're probably doing three other things that, that are doing that to them. And so we need to bear these little things with a humble, quiet patience. We really can't make mountains out of molehills because the alternative uh, leads to just a, a combustive combat. And neither one of those, that's, that's not going to lead either one of us as spouses to heaven if we're constantly niggling at each other, right? And so we 
need to slowly begin to recognize the times when we are causing the other one friction, when we are causing the other one to, to go a little bit crazy. And so from that, when we start seeing the times when we do fall short ourselves, we need to, to come up with three of the hardest words in marriage. And those three hard words are, I am sorry. We need to have that wisdom and that humility to look at ourselves, to look at our own actions and own up to them and say, I'm sorry for having hurt you. And from that come uh, three words in marriage that are probably even more difficult to say, which is, I forgive you. Right? And sometimes we just forgive in the silence of our heart. But when we're saying, I forgive you, we're saying, yes, you've hurt me, but I love you anyways. And so it's this quiet, loving perseverance kind of based on, on St. Rita and her marriage that will help strengthen and, and grow the, the love that we share as spouses ourselves. Full so far. And if I may note too, people who live where I live in the greater Philadelphia area, we actually have the National Shrine of St. Rita of Kasha in South Philadelphia. In fact, the foundation, St. Raymond Onatus Foundation has done retreats at the St. Rita of Kasha shrine and also the para and, and uh, within their center too, they have a parish center. So just had to mention that because I've been able to learn more about her and what a wonderful saint for marriage and for families in crisis. Thank you, Robert. Oh, you're welcome. And God works in those beautiful ways where I had absolutely no idea that the there was the the shrine of St. Rita of Cassia uh, in the South Philadelphia area. And it's just yeah, one of those godsidences, those providence that, that God brings about. Now, another patron saint of difficult marriages, and one that's probably a little bit better known, and she's known as the patron saint of difficult marriages and difficult children, more because of her son. So who I'm talking about now is St. Monica, who was the, the mother of St. Augustine. Uh, St. Monica uh, was a Christian in fourth century North Africa. Uh, she was married actually to a Roman pagan, Patricius, uh, who had a violent temper and, and dissolute habits. So kind of very much along the same lines as the husband of St. Rita of, of Cassia. Um, he did re finally repent and was baptized shortly before he passed away. But St. Monica is also known as the, the patron saint of mothers of difficult children because of, of St. Augustine. Uh, and St. Augustine is well known for his misspent youth uh, and his search for worldly glory, getting caught, caught up uh, in stealing pears because he just wanted to show off for his friends. Uh, he, he was a womanizer. And one of his uh, infamous lines was, you know, Lord, give me chastity, just not yet, right? And as much as there was a little bit of Christianity, or there was Christianity in his upbringing, well, uh, the, the kernel of Christianity in his heart, uh, he was constantly seeking after different heretical sects. Uh, and from all of this and this, this life of searching, like I said, for worldly glory, he ended up leaving his concubine. He, he did not marry this woman, but left his concubine and his child in Africa to search for glory, to seek glory uh, in Milan, in Italy. And so Monica would weep 
and she wept and she prayed and she fasted for her husband and her son. Right? Uh, and through all of this, she continued to persevere to pray for them. And someone asked me yet last night for uh, you know a little bit of advice. What would you say for for someone who's trying to lead a devout life, trying to lead a devout um, married life, but the other spouse just doesn't seem interested? And my my first thing that came out of my mouth was pray, 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 continue to pray, and you know, glory in the little steps. Don't expect things to turn around right away. And that's really what St. Monica did. She she didn't give up on her her children, on, on her child, St. Augustine, and on her husband. And one of my favorite lines from the movie Restless Heart, which is the, is the biography of St. Augustine, um, is when Monica's lamenting Augustine's uh, bad habits to St. Ambrose. Uh, St. Ambrose's line to St. Monica was, you know, if Augustine had been an easy child, God would not have chosen you to be his mother, right? And so we can take that and look at, you know, if my husband or my wife were to have been an easy spouse, God would not have chosen me to be their spouse. Or, you know, look at our children. If they were going to be an easy child, God would not have chosen us to, to be their parent. And so we, we need to... Uh, persevere in our, our prayer for for our spouses persevere in our, our prayer for our children because we don't know what the seeds are, are being planted in all this and that the holy spirit is watering them and you know we may not ever see the fruit of that come to to being but we need to to persevere in that prayer life for our children and so with saint monica i, I just i wanted to to share here um the, the prayer to to St. Monica, uh, especially for uh, with difficult children. So exemplary mother of the great Augustine, you perseveringly pursued your wayward son, not with wild threats, but with prayerful cries to heaven. Intercede for all mothers in our days so that they may learn to draw their children to God. Teach them how to remain close to their children even the prodigal sons and daughters who have sadly gone to gone astray. Amen. And so that's really our, our, our calling to continue that, that humble, quiet life, an example, a prayerful example, uh, calling our spouses and our children to be closer to God, because that truly is our vocation. When we're married, our vocation is to get our husband or wife to heaven. And when we have children as parents, that's our, our vocation of parents is to get our children to heaven. And we do that with those, those quiet planting of seeds. Uh, very good so far. And um, I like the way, Robert, that you're presenting each of these saints. Now, I know you have a couple more that you have to do, and these are really super special ones too. So thanks again. Oh, thank you, Anne. Yeah, and so as we're moving through the, these patron saints of marriage, you can see we're actually we're kind of going backwards in time, and we're getting closer and closer to Christ. And so the the next couple I wanted to share with, and it's a couple that's actually very close to my heart, um, are Saints Anne and Joachim, right? The the grandparents of, of Christ, and that notion of 
preparing for the next generation. So you know, that would have been their vocation to prepare Mary as her role as the mother of God, right? Now, the reason why St. Anne's and Joachim are, are close to my heart, um, French Canadians have a very special devotion to St. Anne. Uh, I was very blessed about a month ago to visit the shrine of St. Anne de Beaupré, uh, which has a, a major relic of, of St. Anne. Um, St. Anne played a big part in my childhood, but also my wife's family, uh, her father's parish growing up was also the parish of St. Anne. So St. Anne has just played a, a big role in our marriage and in our, our family life. Now, not much is known about St. Anne and Joachim. What we do know uh, comes from apocryphal sources, uh, most notably the Proto-Evangelium Proto of James. Um, we, from there, we, we've learned that you know, they lamented their barrenness, that they were childless, uh, until later in life, very much a, an allegory for uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah and St. John the Baptist. Uh, Joachim himself, was, who was reproached for sterility, uh, retreated into the wilderness to pray and received the vision that they would have a child. And herself was also uh, promised a child in a vision. And so when Mary was born, they promised her to the service of God right? Uh, Mary then, of course, because of these visions and because of the devout life of Saints Anne and Joachim would have been uh, raised in a very devout Jewish household. And tradition holds that at the age of three, they brought Mary to the temple uh, to have her dedicated to temple service. And I think it's important to look at Saints Anne and Joachim and the grandparents of Christ because like I said, they're preparing for the next generation. They're planting the seeds. They're, they're not working for an immediate uh, sanctifying response. They know that they're planting the seeds that will bear fruit in the next generations. Right? Uh, and as I was preparing this, I was thinking of that. Uh, I was brought to, to reading in Exodus. Um, it's actually from the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, chapter in, in Exodus. Now, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bestowing mercy down to the thousandth generation on the children of those who love me and keep my commandments. All right. So neither St. Anne or, or St. Joachim would have lived to, to have seen the Christ child, but because they loved the Lord our God and because they followed his commandments, because they led a devout life, their progeny was blessed for generations to come, including the Christ child, right? And when we see that go, that, that generational love, um, we can see that because children will love what their, their parents love, right? Uh, the homes of adult children are often a reflection of the home that they grew up in. And so it's very important for us to teach the children the faith because if we're not teaching our children the faith how are they going to pass that on to the next generation because we we can't give what we haven't received and so that's why you know i see such a blessing with my own son who is now 19 uh, seeing those kernels of faith that have been planted over the the years 
are, are still there and they're they're just below the surface but we can see the faith growing in him and knowing that they will eventually bear fruit and that way god willing he'll then be able to pass the faith on to the next generation and then the next and the next and so thinking of that that next generation from saint Anne and joachim we come to uh, the saintly example of, of marriage par excellence the the epitome of a holy marriage would be with mary and joseph uh, the the earthly parents of of our lord right and when i think of mary and joseph uh there's a, a wonderful quote from saint john the 23rd you know the charity which burned in the household at nazareth should be an inspiration for every family really the holy family needs to be that inspiration the holy family needs to be that example that we base all of our marriages on right and what we know from the marriage of mary and joseph comes to us from both scripture and tradition um, we know that they had a normal domestic life for the most part uh, having your son uh, the the son of god uh, as your son um that that's pretty big but for the the most part and even in scripture when it talks about that time from when jesus was age 12 until he started his earthly ministry it says you know they they went up to nazareth and that jesus you know grew in love with his parents so we we know that they had a normal domestic life uh, for palestine at that time I mean, they, Mary and Joseph were betrothed at the normal age for the time. Uh, and it struck me as I was preparing this, that notion of that the church asks us to wait one year from when we're engaged to when we get married. It, it follows the same as in scripture with Mary and, and Joseph in their year of, of betrothal, right? Uh, they both, Mary and Joseph, listened and were open to living God's will. Right. When we look to the Annunciation, now Mary's words at the Annunciation, be it done unto me according to thy word. Or when Joseph received uh, the visions in the dreams, you know, like the, the final vision that Joseph had, get up and take the baby and his mother and flee to Egypt. He got up and off they went. They listened to the Lord and they acted on that. They had respect within the relationship. Joseph is referred to... Uh, as Mary's most chaste spouse. And each one of them was given the special graces to live out this vocation, right? They were charged with the gift of life, the nativity at Bethlehem the, and the flight into Egypt. And as a married couple, they were constantly, well, constantly, they were searching for Christ. And, and that comes to, to the foremost with the, the story, as I just mentioned, when Jesus at the age of 12 was in the temple, they were searching for Christ in great anxiety, which is something that we need to do together as, as married couples as well. Amen. Amen. Uh, so far, wonderful reflections. I didn't mean to, I popped myself on here. Maybe I was not meaning to do it so soon. So forgive me. Um, I'm going to give you back the stage to finish up. And then when we're finished, I didn't know you can give concluding thoughts, but please do finish up on Mary and Joseph, please. Yeah. So I'm just going to finish. And really 
to finish up with Mary and Joseph, it, it goes along the lines of all of the other saintly examples of marriage that we've been talking about. You know, being open to living God's will in our relationships, listening to God, whispering to our hearts as couples, have a prayer life as a couple, discern decisions as a couple while consulting God through prayer. You know, drown out our, our own egos. I always say with with marriage, we need to check our ego at the altar and be prepared for it to be difficult. It's we have we're called to carry our cross, but we're called to carry our crosses together with our spouse. Be respectful within the relationship. Remember, it's the two made one flesh, and, and it's not easy in our human frailty, it's not easy in our, our pridefulness, but we need to rely upon God's graces to live out our relationship with our spouses as two being made one and operating as a, a cohesive complementary unit. We meet, need to be mindful of the gift of the lives that God has charged us with. Our, our, as I was saying earlier, our main job as spouses is to get each other to heaven and as parents to get our, our children to heaven. And as Catholic Christians in the, the greater community, we're also need to be cognizant that we we're here to get uh, each other to heaven right and then finally especially as married couple to be searching for god to be searching for god with that same anxiety that mary and joseph searched for the christ child when he was lost in jerusalem making christ this the central point of our marriage uh, the venerable fulton sheen has an, a wonderful talk and it's entitled you know three to get married and that the three in a marriage are the husband, the wife, and God at the center of it all. And that comes through a prayer life as a couple and the, the humble, quiet, respectful habits and behaviors that we, we have uh, towards each other and together uh, as a married couple. And so I would say as we walk through the married life together as you walk through married life with your spouse you know it's not always going to be easy it it will be difficult but rely on the graces god has given you as a couple trust in one another right and and take those steps forward together knowing that you're not alone rely on that great communion of saints that God has given us and discern who is your family patron saint. There is a saint out there that has chosen, that has volunteered, that has stepped up to be a patron saint to your family. I spoke about uh, St. Anne being a patron saint uh, of our family. Uh, along, I always say to St. Michael is, is very much has chosen to be the patron saint of, of our family as well. So pray and discern who is a saint that speaks to you as a married couple? Who is a saint that is whispering in both of your hearts that I'm your patron, I'm your guardian, I'm here to help lead you to heaven because God will rejoice in nothing more than married couples entering into heaven. So. What a beautiful talk. I know we probably could be here a lot longer than this and we have maybe we have to plan another one robert 100%, i do think we should 100%. plan another one because there's so much more to talk about 
And yeah. um, I we, also we, want to remind everybody too. I'm sorry, Robert. I, I was just going to say, it, 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 it takes so many, it, it would take hours and hours and hours to, to really plumb the depths of the wisdom that the church offers us on marriage. So yeah, it, the more I dig into it, the more beautiful it is. The more I dig into it, the greater the love is that I have for my wife as well. So wonderful. And I love the idea of a patron saint for your family. So I want to put that idea out there for our audience too. Robert, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Would you join us again? Oh, for sure. The It's such a blessing and uh, and a humble pleasure to, to join you. And so thank you very much. Yes. Awesome. Now, I want to remind all of you to, to check out his podcast uh, and also and and also his website, which is Catholic Moment. I believe everything is on that website. Please do tell us the websites where people can connect. Yeah, so the one-stop shopping to connect to, whether it's my books, some of my writing, and the podcast is catholicmoment.ca. Uh, there's also some short videos in there. Uh, it's always about, you know, the time God calls us to do all these things. And it's about making those choices to have the time to, to do them. But catholicmoment.ca, like I said, you'll find the podcast, you'll find the videos, and you'll find the, the links to my books as well. Awesome. And a reminder, too, to our audience here, our website is nonatis.org. Please do get in touch with us and also connect with us on YouTube at the Philly Nonatis YouTube channel. God bless you all, and we'll see you next time. Foundation, St. Raymond Onatus Foundation for Freedom, Family, and Faith was founded in 2015 by the Mercedarian Religious Order with a mission to make pastoral outreach to families in crisis. The friars came together after attending the World Meeting of Families in Philadelphia with hopes of creating a foundation which could help those families and individuals who have faced tough times and need to know that the church cares and is there to help. Since that time when we were founded, the foundation has helped hundreds of families by offering prayer, priestly consultations, podcasts and videos, and programs and events. Whether it is something to do with divorce or separation, trauma, job loss, loss of a loved one, relationship issues or other crisis, the Foundation has seen lives transformed through the services we provide. Pope Francis has referred to our world as a field hospital, where there are a great deal of individuals and families who feel abandoned and they need the special outreach of those who truly care and wish to show the face of God to others. As a Foundation, that is what we do every day, and we're grateful to people like you who help to make a difference for families in crisis. Please pray for us and for our mission. Would you consider a one-time or recurring gift? Please go to nonatus.org to donate. Thank you sincerely from all of us 
at the St. Raymond Onatus Foundation for Freedom, Family, and Faith.